0: Welcome to season six of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie, and now a Sue Ryder. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994.
1: And I'm Kenneth, proud fundraiser from my time working for Alzheimer's Research UK, now the charity's lead at London Marathon events where I get to work with thousands of brilliant and amazing charities, father of three football-obsessed children and co-host of the Do More Good Podcast.
2: You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh,
1: welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do more good. Do good,
3: do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah,
2: you're gonna okay. say. You are listening to the Do More Good podcast.
1: Okay, James, here we are back again for another episode of the Do More Good podcast. It's episode
0: 97. How are you doing? Uh, Kenneth, I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad we've got through our little technical issues uh, that we had just before kicking this one off. I mean, how many times have we done this? and uh, And still, the gremlins are out there just waiting to pounce.
1: I was just saying we've recorded over 60 episodes on Zoom and that was the first time that we've ever had an issue. But I, don't I know, mean, it maybe was,
0: uh, it was wonderful. I thought it was great. We couldn't hear you. You couldn't hear us. You were still on screen. The frustration was there, but uh, yeah, it was fantastic.
1: It was <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the heat. We're recording this on what is the what now record hottest day of the year ever in the yes. UK? 41 degrees, I think it's hit at some places. um But yeah, how are you coping?
0: Well, I think it hit 61. 61 in here. Uh, the little sauna that, that I've been locked away in for the day. But not like you. You were showing off to me earlier about your uh, your air-conditioned fancy pod at the back of the garden weren't you? I know
1: I've been showing off to everyone all day I, I tell you what there was some benefits to having a father-in-law who worked in air conditioning throughout his career he just he absolutely made it mandatory when he said oh come on I help you with that garden room so got a lot to thank him for for the last couple of days but no I've been sitting here in uh, in lovely pleasant temperatures and um, yeah looking forward to today's episode I think we've got a cracker today. We have we have indeed yeah but before stuff. we get going Should we just jump into our quick question that I wanted to ask you? So if you could put your name to any business, James, or brand or a charity,
0: what would you create? Well, it was an interesting question. And as ever, you give me less and less time to prepare for these as, as we're going on. But it immediately made me think, because Love Island is on at the moment. Isn't that the big thing? That They come out of there and they get all the brands and everybody gets in touch with them, their social media followings, et cetera. So maybe we should cash in. Maybe this is our moment, Kenneth. You know, six, six followers on Twitter. This is it. Maybe don't come to quite the same brands uh, that will be following us as they do the Love Island contestants. I was thinking more kind of Marks and Spencers. Maybe go down that route. You know, they're yeah, David yeah, yeah. Gandhi, didn't they? Maybe really? we fit into that bracket. We'd be like the opposite end of that. But um, eyewear. I was going down eyewear. Nice. I quite like that. I, said, I like quite that. Good. Yeah. I like that. DMG, DMG glasses. And then I had a little think about you as well. Okay. What you uh, for? I, All right. I'm gonna make the pitch. All right. Foreman fancies. All right. <laughs> little cakes. Quite delicate. You know, intricately made. Little things. You could deliver them on a pillow or a velvet cushion or something. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, I like the sound of that. Yeah, not 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 a bad idea there. Maybe, maybe beyond something. I was I was going more down the line of a clothing brand. I'd love someone walking around. You know, when you used to go and buy them them four shirts for a hundred quid from Charles Therrett or from TM Lewin. I thought yeah. Ken Foreman shirts. I wouldn't oh. mind something like that. Or a clothing apparel. It'd be good to just walk down the road and see someone wearing your name club. A little name, KF embroidered okay. on there or yeah. or a or a, a Ralph Lauren type, you know, the ones either shirts where I had three legs instead of four when I was <laughs> You know, it'd be some something quite quirky Not from like
0: Dave that. in the car park at the park. Yeah, yeah,
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. But look, let's just come on to our guests this week who are patiently waiting and we'll crack on with the introductions. and say, really excited to hear this story uh, and about this fan- incredible foundation. So, this week on the podcast, we're joined by two guests, both who represent the Rahim Sterling Foundation, a charity that envisions a world where young people will always have the support they need in the pursuit of improving their opportunities their future careers and their quality of life. Our first guest is the chair of trustees for the foundation and also the operations director and scheme manager for two semi-independent providers assisting over 30 young people as they make their transition into adulthood and independence. After an early career in the motor trade, our guest believed there must be more he could give to life. So started to volunteer his time to help support young people in London. And after transitioning to work in fostering and becoming a mentor coordinator, our guest met and mentored a young Raheem Sterling while serving as the coordinator for the Boys to Men mentorship programme and the two have remained in touch ever since. Now most Saturdays, like many of us, our guest continues to serve as the head coach of Alpha and Omega Football Club, Raheem's one and only grassroots football organisation. He also serves as the club's chair and the team has a history of producing footballers who've been given the chance to compete at the top level. So we're really pleased to welcome Clive Ellington to the Do More Good podcast. Hi Clive, how are you doing?
3: Not too bad, thank you
1: very much. And yourself? Yeah, really good. Thank you for thank you for being with us today. We'll let, James, do you want to introduce our other guest? Because we've, we've got two today.
0: We have two for the price of one today. Uh, and our second guest is Chris Bird, CEO of the Foundation, whilst also Chief Exec of the Successful Sports Tours International. Following a career in the field of sports, he is widely considered a media and PR communications authority, having had a career that spans more than 20 years in these fields. <laughs> a PR expert with strong strategic and commercial direction, Chris has served as COO of Manchester City, where his negotiations were crucial in securing major commercial and sponsorship agreements that were highly profitable for the club. Chris joined Manchester City as a freelance PR consultant before he was appointed as the chairman's assistant. His spectacular rise from freelancer to COO reflects that of the club, climbing from Division Two to England's football's top tier at the Premier League. He's the founder and trustee of the Running Bee Foundation and actively participates in challenges, inspiring communities to lead healthy and
2: active lives.
0: We're really pleased to welcome Chris. How are you doing you. in your air-conditioned office today?
2: You know what? I, I wish my career had only, only spanned 20 years. You're about 20, another 20 years out. <laughs> <laughs> I you, thought you, I'd you... been in a home for 20 years and i have forgotten about it. <laughs>
1: I can't believe you're only you're only 25, Chris, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, thank you very much for your time, no gents. It's, it's a really privilege to to have you be here. I guess like most podcasts, we like to kind of dive in and understand a little yeah. bit more about kind of people's journey, what got them to where they are today. We've spent a bit of time mm-hmm. researching you both, so we might have a few things that we've come up with. But, Clive, we'll start with you. As we heard you, you know, during the the intro, you were mentoring, you were supporting young people. Sounds like it's been a a big part of your life. Can you take us back to the early years? How did did that come to be such a big part of of what Clive Ellington gives back to society?
3: Uh, Well, I think it's mainly come from one of my family upbringing, being the middle child of six, having influential parents who did their best with what they had at the time. And then going into what I thought was my ideal job was the motor trade there as I say, man and boy, um, worked my way up to supervisor, assistant manager, and manager a number of branches. And I think one thing my parents always said to me, you know, you start living when you found your purpose. And going to work and the first phone call in the beginning of the day was, what's the bottom line going to look like? Think, Is that it? You know, uh, not how are you and how you feeling? But I found out, I had more enjoyment kind of helping customers and then just thought oh, I wanted something more to do and started off volunteering in a children's home and, you know, made a great impact with a young person that at the time was very challenging to other staff members. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, I could do this for a living. Saw an advert for um, mentors, Boys to Men, and went there and then the director there said to me, uh, well, you know, would you want to, what your experience? I thought, no, it's experience in terms, of, in terms of mentoring but I have two children at the time and all I could do is just give my best started off just I think no he did give me I'm not thinking he gave me the most challenging young person <laughs> at the time and we just bonded and seeing the you know the changes gradually throughout and you know you're learning and, and you're learning from these young people as well and it kind of the first time I realized it humbled you as the person that scene where chaotic families, you know, young person was coming from a chaotic background. And I just thought, I just couldn't wait to finish work to go and meet my mentee. And meet the fa- and then I realised that this is my purpose. So 19 years later, after being the motor trader, I thought, that's it. And the director then said, well, you want to work for a full time, but I can't pay what you're on. And I said, I don't care. I don't okay, no, I can't pay you what you want. I said, okay, when can you start? So next month, I've got to give a month's notice. And um, the company I was working for that did everything to keep me. But you just know when you know, um, you found your love and your passion. And then um, started then and became the uh, mentor coordinator, trained over 30 plus mentors. Um, and yeah, that's what that's when, uh, I would then told oh we've got a young person that we want to refer to you and want to allocate to you no problem and it turned out to be this little three foot nothing I saw playing in the playground (laughs) who was absolutely brilliant at football and yeah I just thought well you know met Raheem spoke to him and I was began to my son was playing for Alpha Omega at the time the coach the chair then said well you know i was going to do the training next week i'm thinking what are you talking about i, I played on a saturday i was playing american football as well well i got no time to do, dedicate to children i missed my first training session at football started coaching and didn't look back and 25 plus years later still doing it and from there um, i went into fostering Worked for a fostering organization still mentoring as well and you know seeing some fantastic foster parents and that had the same passion as myself, uh, that weren't in it just for the money, wanted to make a difference in young people's lives. Um, and through all that, it—I not to say I wasn't humble before, but life just looking at other people's life, you to get grounded in your own, and appreciate your upbringing, appreciate people around you, good people around you. But it also forced you—or well, forced myself—to think differently. And it was about what can I then give back to not just young people, but to their family. And it was about it wasn't just mentoring young person; you had to then have the support of the family, the parents. Um, Most of the boys at the time I was mentoring came from um, single parent families, where it was just a matriarch home environment, and couldn't understand why I was like an alien to them. You know, wow, you, don't, you know, and it was home was um, predominantly run by mum. We went to school environment was primary, predominantly female, you know, and there's very little male in, involvement in their lives. So while I was still fostering, it I brought my mentorship into fostering as well, and then getting foster parents to look at and work with children in a mm-hmm. different way. Um, done that, and then went into um, Semi independent working with 16 plus and so 16 to 18s, preparing them for transitioning to adulthood and independent living. But through all my experience, some of the pro- providers will look at the home economics, cooking, cleaning, but it was the mind that if you couldn't change the mind and give them an alter- alternative way of thinking, there probably wasn't on a hiding to nothing because it was just going out there, doing the same thing, same mistakes. But just giving the ability to think differently and always trying to have a different view about life and the world that we we're, were living in. So that's my my journey. I think the, the one thing I'll always say that kept me or made me come into social care was the home I was working in was um, my, the first person I engaged with was a young female. And I was told, if she comes in late, report her missing. Okay. I called her and said, You need to be by eleven o'clock and, Every obscenity that could come out of her mouth came out, and then she came in and soaking it. And I just told her, You need to go upstairs, shower up, and make you something to eat. And she said, You can't because the kitchen's closed. What do you mean the kitchen's closed? So I said, Yeah, you can. So anyway, I made a cheese sandwich and some hot chocolate. And she said, You know, these cameras in this office. Yeah, and but if they see you feeding me, you're going to get in trouble. I said, That's for you. Have your coffee, have your hot chocolate. Have your sandwich. Where you been? I'm not telling you like for So I'm just safe and what what, what, what. So I said, um, but you're school in the morning. And she burst out laughing. What do you mean? I don't go to school. I spoke to her about, you know, the uh, advantage of going to school and the long-term rewards. And she said, like, okay, well, can you knock me at eight o'clock so I could get up? Okay. So I thought nothing of it. And I'll never forget was one of the staff members came and said, That was last night. I said, Yeah, yeah, She came and I thought, I gee and I was too rude. Yeah, a few obscenity, but you know what she didn't bother me, you know, things she was saying. And then he said, Well, where is she? I said, Oh, she'd get for school. And I burst out laughing. And it was knocking the door, and she came down dressed for school. Said, well, how am I going to get to school. I said, Well, how do you get to school? I don't go to school. So I said, Well, come we get her a cab for school. So I've got her a cab. And he said, uh how did you manage to get, a, get a, to get up in the morning and go to school? So just cheese sandwich like <laughs> 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 and some hot chocolate. And they've tried everything to get finished at eight o'clock in the morning, went home, showered up, went straight to work. And I sat there and thought, nah, this ain't for me. I think I could do that again. And that was it. And that's what kept me and sparked me in Social Care. And
0: Quite different to looking at the bottom line, isn't it? Quite yeah. different Sarah of yeah. achievements. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting we talk about school because Kenneth has been doing his research on Chris as well and we like to think of Kenneth as a bit of a bloodhound he'll go and find out all of the information that he can actually it just means he looks at your LinkedIn profile and Chris <laughs> against your school you wrote about um achievements at your school and answered none football and survival how was that for you how was your school experience after a uh, cheese sandwich and hot chocolate in the morning
2: mm-hmm. well, School, school for me was just a place to pass time until I went to work Primary school was like every, everybody's. It was formed. But when I went to the comprehensive on the, the housing estate where I live, there was only really one thing that I was interested in, and that was playing football. Uh, it got to about the third year, and the, this teacher just told me that she thought my writing was really good and my creative writing was really good. I could make stories up. So that's, that's the only thing that I really enjoyed. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get out of there quick enough. You know, at 13 years old, of was stood on the market. You didn't so, have some
0: of them Kenneth Foreman shirts, did
2: you? You weren't. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Couldn't shift
0: Kenneth, Kenneth
2: Foreman sounds like heavyweight champion of the world, doesn't he, Kenneth Foreman? <laughs> no, no, I started off selling ice cream. Then I went into men's jeans and shirts and then I, I finished off selling women's dresses and all sorts of stuff. Top end women's gear, which was fantastic.
1: So, Chris, how, do you go, how does one go from a market store selling ice creams and, and top-end women's gear to working at one of the biggest football clubs in the world and, you know, well, you, being the chief exec you, of a sports tour international? What, what's, you, that, what's that journey you, been like?
2: You missed out a number of steps because, you know, the, the, the career path was, was, was quite varied. So I leave school, I'm still doing the markets, but my first job was a training signalman on the railway. So I worked on the railway for six months, working nights most of the time, at 16 that wasn't wasn't very pleasant after about six months i jacked that in and i got a job working at a factory that me my dad was in charge of he interviewed me gave me the job and gave me the worst job you could ever give anybody it was it was underground i made some great mates all young bangladeshi lads who who were the local bangladeshi community and i spent three and a half years working pretty much in the dark most of the time and i said to my dad "What, what why am I doing this job? He says, I'm not having anybody saying that I'm giving you favoritism. You do what everybody else is and that's the job. So either do the job or don't do the job. So I did the job, but I, I still continued the markets. And then there was a, a, an advert in a local newspaper, the, uh, the reporter newspaper, which I now own. And, and it said, trainee advertising representative. And I thought, that must be selling. I can sell so see what i can do went for the interview got a second interview um, second interview i had to do later on in the day which was on 210 at the time so i went to the interview in a boiler suit and um, a pair of wellies and my brand new skoda rally jacket and uh, and the, the managing director of his interview just he couldn't believe he went this lad that i had gone the week before in my suit which I'd been a best man at a wedding, so I had a suit. Um, and he just, this, this kid walks in smelling like an effluent plant, which is where I was working. But he gave me the job, gave me a chance. And I never looked back. I loved it. I, I, as soon as I picked up the paper and found out what it was all about, I just went out and I sold. When it was my 21st birthday, I said, I've, I've got an idea. And I went round all the all the advertisers in the area and sold them an advert wishing me a happy birthday. <laughs> How many did you sell? Oh, two pages. <laughs> two pages. Yeah, about two and a half grand worth of advertising. I don't know. <laughs> nice.
0: Wow. Now, Chris's if Chris's passion is sales. Then Clive, yours is is still in grassroots football. You still got a real passion for that. <laughs>
3: yeah, absolutely. And
0: that was what first connected you with Raheem, wasn't it? You, you talked a little bit about that when uh, earlier on, how was that first meeting? I mean, you say that you saw, and you must have, you immediately knew he was brilliant.
3: He was tiny <laughs> and seen in running rings around the other boys in the playground. I've always said, they are that poor or he's that good. <laughs> I was glad it was the latter. Take him home every week from mentoring. I just said, well, what do you do on the weekend? So said, nothing. You actually don't play for a club, there's no. So I said, Well, look, you're gonna come training with me. And I remember I, the first time I went speaking up the training, I got there 10 minutes early and he's outside kicking the ball against the wall. For at that age, you know, up that early. And his first training session, the coaches and I just stood there just looking and the things he was doing at that age. To be honest at the time, we didn't know what we unearthed, but we just knew there was someone special here. And he would be the first one there and the last one, show me this, how do I do this? You just had to applaud it. It was a, a, a moment you just don't forget. Also, <laughs> the flip side of that is his temperament because the losing was not an option. You know, the amount of times he was tear from the car coming home, like, it was just training. But that, that was the passion he had and you can't coach that. It's something that we realized that we couldn't coach. We just had, and I said to the coaches, I don't want you to coach that from him. He just needs to know how to regulate it himself and use it the right way because sometimes it's got to be uh, you can't behave like that And my opinion just getting to manage that behavior you know, and that passion don't take it away from it because it, it could kill his dream because even in training if someone's got an old and they were laughing he'd be kicking off going what's funny about that wow okay so the talk on the way home used to be it was just about his temperament and being part of the team because that's one thing that I realized all yeah, the talent in the world but being part of the team, and it was sometimes a one-man show, and thinking you've got to pass the ball. But <laughs> throughout time with the other coaches there, the stuff he, he grew to learn um, to live with is that he's got to be part of the team and the importance of being part of the team. But yeah, the off-the-field conversation that we used to have was, was never about football. It was just about getting a better understanding about the world that he was living in.
0: Kenneth is angry with me. If I mess up a segue or if I get the outro wrong, he's on. He's in tears on the way home. <laughs> and he's shouting at me, calling me all sorts of names.
1: I mean, it's just it's, it's it's amazing to hear, Clive. You know, I mean, you know, I think it's Raheem is probably one of the greatest football players this country's ever produced in terms of what he's achieved in his career, what he's going to go on to achieve probably in the rest of his career. And I mean, it's amazing to hear that you were part of kind of discovering him, but that ethic and that work ethic and passion sounds like it was it was there from the start. And I guess that takes us on to the kind of foundation, which obviously we're, we're here to talk about. You know, uh, see, it was founded in kind of late 2021. It's all about kind of breaking down barriers to, to social mobility, self-development, you know, education, empowerment. The question is really where did the where did the idea come from? Like, where did how did those early conversations with Raheem about the foundation? And can you tell us about that, Chris? Maybe.
2: Yeah, I mean, the it was quite strange, really, because. I, I got an approach from somebody I know that's linked with Barcelona Football Club who was talking to one of the guys that works with Raheem at, at the sports agency and they'd asked him, you know, do you know anybody who's, who's ever set up any foundations or knows the way around that? And he said, yeah, he says, I know a guy. He says, and, you know, fully enough, he used to work at City too. So they rang me up and, and just said, look Raheem's looking to set up a foundation he's been trying to do it for a few years but not got it off the ground could you present something to us that you feel would hit the mark so I said okay I said well can you give me an idea of what he wants to achieve and basically I got a paragraph that just said wants to work with disadvantaged kids uh, wants to give them some real opportunities and that was it So I went away and and for about a couple of weeks, I I spent just looking at different ideas of of the way this would come together. And and I, I then created something that I felt we could build around. Raheem's shirt number at Man City was number seven. And I wanted to understand what the power of seven meant. So I researched what the power of seven really means. And it's quite in depth of the seven oceans, seven layers of skin, yeah, you know, seven different passions. There's, there's all sorts under the power of seven. It almost describes the, the, the power that, that drives Rahim, the power of seven. So I then started to look at how we can start to look at the areas that would enable us to deliver those objectives that Rahim has, has got. So I wanted to create something that would be empowering to young people around education, around employment, about training, creativity. So we, we put a series of, of ideas together. And then what I started to do was draw up a series of, of opportunities that I felt where we should go with the ideas. And they should be of Manchester. They should be in Brent in London and they should be in Kingston, Jamaica. So as I presented that to the team, they said, well, right, OK, can you come and chat to Raheem about it? I sat down with him and within ten minutes he just turned around to went, Yeah, that's it. So he said, Can you get on and do it now? So that was that was in the April, I think, and we launched it November eighteenth, twenty twenty one.
1: Jimbo is off at the bar which makes a change and means I can tell you about the website do More there you'll find profiles blog posts previous episodes and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox we're also on Twitter and Instagram at do More Good Pod. plus you can find us on LinkedIn we've even started a TikTok anyway he's on his way back hang on a minute are they shandies And Chris, tell us tell us a bit more about the work of the foundation. I mean, what what impact is it? Have you seen it have so far in well, the very short time it's been around?
2: In the short time that we that we've been doing it, because what what we've got or what we set out to do, Clive Clive has been very clear at, at, at steering me in the direction of making sure that you know whatever we do, we're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And whatever we do. We're doing it as the foundation, and it doesn't have to always be about Raheem. It's about what the foundation does. And also, it's very much about um, making sure that we've got a lot of activity. But what we're not doing is is getting um, pulled into organising and managing events ourselves. We're very much collaborators and partners, um, so we can facilitate things and make things happen. Um, and that means we can spread ourselves far and wide then, because we're not having to scale up with with people and and resource. Mm-hmm. So what we what we've done in the early days is is the two projects that we delivered so far um, are very much at the heart of, of of what Clive is about: mental strength and also mentoring. So we, we've set up a mentoring scheme at the Elvin School, which is has been going for a few months now. And and we're getting some really good feedback. And then we we did a a deal with with Headspace. We're we're actually building a meditation room at our Kelvin, which will be the first of its kind in any school. Um, And also through the football club that Clive is is involved with, we're going to be doing a a pilot program with with the Headspace app, where we're going to give them free app for for a period of six weeks and see how it helps those young people develop and, and how they can see that, that everything from concentration to breathing to just taking time out and taking some time to have some headspace and how it can help them. Great. But we're move, yeah. We've got programs that we're moving into. We'll be launching a number of programs over the next six months that will include projects with a very big institution in London in the arts. We'll be working with two Major universities, um, and we've got some smart projects that we'll be rolling out in Jamaica as well.
0: Wow! Brilliant, Clive, and you will have seen this from your your past and your experiences about the difference that this can make. Um, what are you excited about for the future? What what um, what are you looking yeah. forward to? so what are the the challenges that you faced kind of bringing this forward?
3: Well, I, th- I think first and foremost, we've got a great team. I've got to say that we've got a great team where everyone's on the same page. Um, We've always said that the football talk speaks speak for itself, but what I like about the Foundation, yep. I was saying to Chris, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, that the latter part of that conversation is about Raheem. the first thing is about what we're delivering, and that told me we're on the right track, because it's not, it's not about, well, trying to contribute Raheem's name out there, it's about the social mobility that we're looking at, education uh, and employment. Because there has to be an end to the means, you know, we don't want to come in and, you know, um, say, right, this is the foundation, this is what we're about, and cannot deliver. It's always about the deliverables, but also being able to relate to young people and their families. And, and when you look at the, the relationship with Headspace and the, the, the mentioned organisation working with are Kelvin, it goes hand in glove. Um, the thing that I'm most excites me about is that we're challenging the status quo. We're looking at, we're not afraid to look at some of the conversations that are uncomfortable for some families or young people to have. Those are the conversations we want to become comfortable. And the ones that are comfortable, that we're thinking that's inappropriate, those are what we want to become uncomfortable to talk about. If you look at the increase, even since the COVID, of mental health that's more prevalent among young people. And that's been overlooked for a long while. You know, it's always been there, but I think sometimes with society, the media sometimes will take a different view because they're young children and you think, well, it must be a for problem. But from my experience, especially mentoring, some of them think these things are generational, two generations, three generations, that they haven't had the right support the right guidance. So it's almost like doing what you know um, is something that I'd say to some of my workers in the semi-dependent homes. We're inheriting 16 years of learned behavior, 17 years of learned behavior, and we're trying to undo that within the two years or three years that you've got them. You know, and we have a number of quite successful stories, but there's others where you're looking and thinking, because you're not working directly with the families, it's hard to change that individual because they're still going back to an environment that's molding them in that way. And, and the pressures, especially now with our this younger generation, it's more media-driven. I think sometimes the right message isn't being portrayed to them. So mm-hmm. a lot of the work we do with them it's around perception. So they may look at Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever, and whatever they see, that's what they believe in. You know, a smiling face, you know, partying. A it's all staged. It's all staged. It's no different from if you say to someone smile, and you, you know, automatically pop on the smile. You could be in the middle but because someone to you come common smart, you look at that picture and think that person must be happy. Mm. When you take a picture, that's the, the, the idea was all in my head is taking a natural picture without someone knowing, take a picture of them. And you can see that natural look, you know. And that's why I'm working with, with young people. And, and the fact is that we need to get to the heart of what they're doing, what they've been through, and experiences. And the foundation is there to, to give opportunities. I've always said, I look at everyone that I work with or Supporting and mentoring, I look at them with potential. Everyone's got the potential. I'd never believe in the word hard to reach. Everyone's reachable. It's whether we are patient enough to work with them. And that's the big difference. So the foundation itself is about not leaving anyone behind, it's about inclusion, regardless of your economic status, your religious belief, your gender. Everyone should be given the same opportunity. And I know that's something that Rahim believes in that everyone should be given a chance, you know, regardless. The beautiful thing about the foundation, it's not about being stereotypical views of saying, well, because you're Afro-Caribbean, or you're white, British, or you're Romanian, or you're Indian, that this is a genre let me fit you in. It was nice when I went to a, a function with the Ark at the Barbican, and there was different cultures playing different music. You know, dance and dance. And, d- and it, I, I, th- I always say, when well, I look at my football pitch and I look at young people, especially from the age of, say, six to 10, we as adults um, can learn a lot from them because they don't see color. They, they, don't, they don't see that there no biases. It's just I'm a kid. And and so I always look kind of at that thing well, what happens from the time I can look on my football pitch? The club was once predominantly African Caribbean and white, to now, years later, reflective of our community, which is Romanian, Asian, Sikh, Bangladeshi, African Caribbean, white. And yet, the smiles on that pitch that I'm looking at and thinking, well, what then goes wrong with <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 21, 22, yeah. 30, and 35 plus? what actually goes wrong. We we, we can so much learn, so much when looking at young children in a classroom, on a football pitch, whatever, at that young age, that something fundamentally goes wrong as they get older, especially in secondary school. That is a mindset, that's why I'm so glad about the Headspace one, because I don't think we teach our children from young how to regulate their own emotions and behaviour. And it's something I talk passionately about, which you know um, I've done with Raheem, is that especially in our culture, that from a young age we automatically teach our young men to disconnect from their emotions, and we teach our young women to connect with their emotions. So, for example, um, your your daughter falls over at the age of three and she's crying, and you're like, "Oh, that's all right, it's all right, let it all out." And you know, as young as they are, we give them something to care for. A doll, a teddy bear, it's automatically caring. You've got to care for someone. And so automatically your emotions start to connect from a young age. But then our boys fall over or get a bad tackle in football. Get up, get up, we're crying for you. And it's that disconnection that happens straight away, which is I can't cry, I can't show emotions because it's a sign of weakness. But I say to them, it's all right, it's okay. yeah, but and they're wiping their eyes when they have got a bad tackle. I'm like, it's okay, it's alright. Yeah, but yeah. no, and, and you don't need to dry your eyes. Trust me, it's all right. Yeah. Because when professionals get tackled and whatever, they they also cry. And say, it's all right to do that. It's not a problem. It's mm. not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. You know, it's all right. I'm not saying we cry for anything little thing that happens to you, but from a young age, as parents, we sometimes, and as professionals, we don't realize we're doing that we're disconnecting we're teaching our boys how to disconnect their emotions and then we then scratch out and say well how is that 15 16 17 you're talking kind of geometry about women or your answer to everything is to fight you know so my thing is and you know and the foundation is giving young people opportunities to actually now relax meditate think about an action before you actually go and do it. You know, because sometimes well, I say to my young people, if the heart doesn't connect with the mind, then there's something wrong. Yeah. Because, you know, if you, it's all about emotions, it's, it's all temporary. You, you yeah. lash out, you get angry. Um, you know, especially in some of our communities, you know, even back in the, the 80s and 90s, the violence that was happening. And so you sit them down and say, don't, don't focus on the behavior. What's driving that behavior, what contributed to that? You know, it we, we, we're not going to get any further down the road if we don't teach them how to regulate that behavior and emotions, and, and let our young men also know, look, it's all right. We even said that you know, the amount of time I've cried on that pitch. And I'm looking thinking, what's the matter? Because it was a passion behind it that he did, it didn't know how to lose. It, and losing was not an option. And something from quite young. I said, So even if the coaches I said to them like, no, don't coach it out of him. Don't mm. coach. Him. If you need more of that. It's and it's all right to show that passion. It just needs to be done in a controlled way.
1: Yeah, nice. Well, Chris, you must be uh, privileged to have Clive's insight and experience. I mean, you can hear that he's obviously worked with hundreds of children and has some he, great knowledge to share. He's my Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely sounds it. Uh, Chris, I wanted, I did want to, you know, we've spoken to other charitable foundations on the podcast uh, with, with half, high profile namesakes. I think the Elton John Foundation comes to mind. You know, we spoke to their CEO um, a few months back, um, which was, you know, the story of a sincere passion from Elton to make a difference and utilise his kind of profile on the global AIDS pandemic, um, which has gone on to. I mean, they've raised millions. They've done unbelievable work. Just interested from Raheem's point of view, how he views the foundation and 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 how does having kind of Raheem's name help help the organization with its with its charitable endeavors?
2: I think Clive mentioned that you know that the it's great having Raheem with the foundation. You know, yeah, the, the name opens the doors without a doubt. But we have to, you know, very much like Elton John is a, a Great entertainer, and his availability is—it's difficult to get. And and a professional footballer, let me tell you, you know, they might get paid a lot of money, that's great, but having time to themselves is very very minimal. So what we what we wanted to do is is always make sure that we can create a foundation that represents Raheem, and is a platform for Raheem when he's ready. But while he's got a football career. His time's precious and we've got to use it sparingly. But we meet with him on a regular basis and we present to him what our ideas are and we update him on, on how the projects are developing. Um, and he gives us his steer in terms of whether he feels it's going in the right direction and what else he wants. Um, he's a very demanding young man. He wants he wants things done right and he wants things done quickly. You know, he, 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 he doesn't want to hang around. He, if he sees a good idea, he wants to do it. And that's fantastic. So we've got someone who's, who's passionate about the cause, that's passionate about young people, but more than anything, he actually believes in what we've presented to him and what we've created in terms of the first year of of, of activity that will that will then really take off. You know, we're we're only a few, we're only you know a few months, six months really operating. You know, mm-hmm. January we kicked off properly so we've only really been operating six months and we've probably got the next two to three years already mapped out um, the next the next big task for me is to start to take out onto the road and go and see corporate organizations to show them and demonstrate what we're doing so we can bring in some match funding to match the enormous investment that rahim is making
0: yeah and clive just quickly because we do need to, we do need to wrap up he he comes in for some unfair criticism from time to time he seems to be um uh, singled out sometimes by the newspapers how does he how does he handle that and how do how do you support him through that that's, that's pretty
3: tough sometimes i think we've all seen it it's one thing that i did not see coming and you can't really prepare mm. for that to be honest but he's he's always been very humble very humble you know Keeps his head under on the pulpit, so to speak, until of late. Um, and from a young child who didn't say nothing to now being a vocal point of kind of injustice, you know, in, 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 in sports and the media and, and, and society as well. It's one thing that I would say for me, it's uh, an accolade. It's it's one of the greatest achievements I think he's had to date because. It's now made, not just the media, it's now, now made all of us look at how we now perceive, you know, um, players of colour, um, gender, um, sexual preferences. It's made us now take a look, look more deeper look and how we actually put that information out in, in the wider world. Um, he's put head above the pulpit, and like Chris, for a cause that he believes in, you know.
2: I think one of the things, Clive, you probably agreed with this, is is that, that recognition now, through through being awarded the MBE, mm. because of because of what he stood up for. Um, the media have a very very different view on on Raheem now. Um, I talk to journalists a lot during my normal day, and you know, you've got football journalists and then you've got the news journalists. News journalists now look at Raheem in a completely different way than they did five years ago, mm-hmm. and the football journalists realise that this kid's serious you know he's serious about the game of football off the pitch he's a very private lad he's a family man um and 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 they know not to mess about with him now because he will stand up for himself and he'll stand up for communities and, and stand up for people that that need a voice um and I think he's 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 come of age without a doubt you know a 27 year old um you know you yeah, know, the, the, the Prime Minister has recognised him and given a, a, an MBE for it because this is this is a man that when he speaks, people listen.
1: You know what, Chris, just picking up on that point, it's, a, it's an interesting one because I think it, it saddens me and, and I think a lot of us to hear that we often do about the, the, the impact that many footballers in particular make in society and actually how much good they do. I mean, not, mm-hmm. not just footballers, but also other high-profile sporting um, figures. You know, they actually do a considerable amount of work Um, And we know, you know, from previous conversations we've had on here, we've had ex-professional footballers before who've who've talked about that. But it's not covered in the press. It's not covered
2: in the media. And they prefer to focus on the negatives. But it doesn't sell papers. Well, that's that's the question. And and, and that's why, you know, newspapers, from my point of view, obviously I'm a newspaper owner, but Mm -hmm. mine's local newspapers. Um, But national newspapers are almost making themselves almost irrelevant because the power now for sports people or, or, or entertainers or, or, or large businesses is use your own platforms yeah you know and go to that media that go to the media that really want to know what your story is you know we were really well with the BBC BBC Radio 4 you know Raheem at Christmas was was guest editor um, he got he got more there was more people listening to that program as guest editor than they did when Barack Obama did it, would you believe? <laughs> so, you know, th- this, this is a boy that, that, you know, listeners to Radio 4 want to listen to. Yeah. So I, th- I think y- y- you've got to now look at the, the media landscape slightly differently and, and, and Raheem understands and, and we understand as, as media people that we can, we can manage the narrative and we can protect the narrative um, ourselves and we don't have to rely on the national newspapers to, to do that for us.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Look, we are conscious of time, but we just had one question and probably this is more for our own interest rather than than our audience. But Clive, how excited is Raheem about the upcoming season? I don't know if you've spoken to him. Obviously, it's been well documented, his, his big move. Um, I was hoping he would come to Newcastle as a United fan, but obviously we <laughs> haven't got enough money. So maybe that's another de- another debate. Uh, but he's been hugely successful in the northwest. He's now coming back to London. How excited do you, do, you, do you know is he for the for the coming season?
3: Well, I haven't spoken to him as yet, uh, but I could only imagine. that you know Raheem loves football, you know, and um, as far as I'm saying to someone today, it, it's I, I do think our sportsmen and women get an a awful time because how we perceive sports, because we look at it as recreational. We don't. Really, as their job but it's employment aren't they they're employed Yeah. Right? I've always said how many of us are still in the same job that we were at 16 years old and we move for various reasons um, and that's what players players do but I think it's nice having him back in London um, yeah I, he's always been excited for you know um, for, for the season but I've always said look you know his critics good or bad he's always and prove himself but every movie's made you know every movie
2: 100% yeah. Look at yeah. Chris, I was, Chris I did say,
0: I say you were a City fan did I read really that you I've were City a City fan I've been a City fan all
2: my, all my yeah. life yeah how do you but, feel about it I'm not talking to him I don't want to talk to him <laughs> um, he'll have to make an appointment to talk to me next time <laughs>
0: the, the
2: only thing that he's done right for me is he's still played the blue shirt so <laughs> that's okay and just to pick you up Kenneth he wasn't in the Northwest at all he was in Manchester.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's only one place in the north for me. That's the northeast. You so, uh, <laughs> that, lot of south anyway for me. But anything go <laughs> for what? it's not for us. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, guys, I know we're going to have to go. I know there's a, yeah. another call, but we do have a we do have a couple of questions that we add into the end. But I'm just going to focus on one of them if you don't mind me. Yeah. Look, as, as a as a podcast that that's focused around people doing more good, I just want to know what's your favourite story or inspiring individual that you've maybe met on your journey recently who's done something good for others. And I know you've probably come across loads of different people, but we'd just like to kind of finish on that note. Clive, I'll come to you. Someone that you've met recently that's doing something good for others.
3: Oh, wow. I've lost count. Um, I think it's good men, but I think the one that stands out at the moment, because I've never been, what's the right word? Media struck uh, or no, star struck, sorry. My heroes and the ones I like ah, are the ones on the ground, the ones who I know are working and making and changing lives. And I think it's when I met Promise from the Promise Foundation um, and R. Kelvin, and I just thought just to see what was in the room and, her, and her story and her journey. And, and, I, and I had to say to her, you know, you're one of my stars, you, you're the one who make me go because it's it's real it's you know she's got a story and a journey um, and she's passionate about what she's doing um, so yeah i think promise was the the, the recent personal and like i'm surrounded by them every day anyway but of course you, know, you see her cause come to fruition uh, and you know and also being part of um, the foundation as well was good good
2: and you chris I- a bit like Clive, you know, I, I'm I'm blessed that I'm surrounded by so many people who do some really, really good things. Um, you know, even even family members that that just do outstanding things for, for the community that they live in. But I guess you know, I, I look I look at oh, over the last week or so uh, through my sports business, we're, we're very much involved with 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 the Tour de France, and I've got I've got people out there working with 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 customers. Um and you know, when people go above and beyond it's 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 not always about you know, they're doing something good because it's charitable they're doing something good because they just, they've just got a good heart, and they just want whoever that person is that their experience of 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 where they are is is a positive experience um and we had we had one where you know someone had paid a lot of money to come and ride a a, a major part of the mountain part of the Tour de France um, and had arrived and um, his bike hadn't arrived on the airline so you've been training all year because to do this ride which is 150 kilometres through mountains and finishing on Alpe d'Huez, is, a, is a massive achievement and you've got to train long and hard for that and to arrive in the location and, and not have your bike um And one of the guys that works for us drove through the night, 16 hours, went to the airport, went searching around the airport, drove another 16 hours back. It was just a nightmare journey. But he arrived on the day and took it to the bike mechanic, got the bike ready and the customer was able to go. But this guy, you know, didn't do it for the money, wasn't being paid to do it. It was just he did not want that person to have his dream taken away that had been just, you know, trained for for almost two years, and and you know it, it was the first to tap after the after the COVID period. Mm-hmm. So it was such a huge, a, a really good human thing to do. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I just love stories like that. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's people that just go above and beyond, and um, not for themselves, but to see somebody else benefit from. it. That's what it's all about.
1: Right look as i say we know that you guys have got to go and you've got uh, other calls yeah, yeah. and things to make on so look just want to say thank you for your for your time we'll make sure that we um share the link to the, to the foundation so other people can have a look at what you're up to what raheem's yeah. up to and and you Please know do. wish you wish you lots of luck it sounds like you've got an exciting future ahead and i'm sure you know seeing already what you're doing with new balance seeing what you're doing with headspace yeah. Obviously, Chris has got some good connections. He's got a black book there that he'll be exploring to get some big corporate partnerships coming on. So I'm sure you're going to achieve great Damn things. I'm right. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe back to a market stall at some stage. You never know. Never
2: never leaves you. No, I'm <laughs> sure it doesn't. <laughs> right,
1: James, we'll uh, wrap up there. Any final thoughts?
0: Uh, no, I've got to get going, actually. I've got a 16 hour drive to drop off some Kenneth Foreman shirts up to Chris so he can find
3: them for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Take care. Thanks <laughs> a lot. And we'll see
3: you Cheers, soon. All all the best. No
2: Thank you. Cheers
3: just
1: before we go can we ask you a favor if you enjoyed this episode and you made it this far after
0: all and want to help us reach more people and attract more guests then we'd really love a review on itunes alternatively if you haven't got anything nice to say then say it in an email get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good